0: you're listening to a message preached at Front Range Baptist Church by Pastor Dean Miller. It is our prayer that this message will be a help and encouragement to you in your spiritual walk. Now, here's Pastor Miller. Take your Bibles very quickly and look at Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. I believe that, um, I believe that what we're doing tonight or this morning in this place is um, more important than anything that's going on in the world. Wherever the Bible's being opened up and God's people are hearing the preaching of God's word, and where, where God's people are gathered together, you can mark it down that God has ordained that and God has blessed that. And uh, <laughs> there's we live in a world today where we're so overwhelmed with all the information, with everything going on in the world. And uh, people are sitting down and filling their minds with all the, the politics of the world. And I mean, and everything has become so politicized, right? And uh, yet, the issues of the Bible are not right versus left. They are righteousness versus unrighteousness. And, um, and when we come to church and we open up the Word of God, we need to be, remem- we need to re- be reminded that we're hearing from the Lord. And I, w- I, want you to, I want you to see in Acts chapter 17 this morning, I want you to see as we have laid out a theme for this year. It's a theme for our church. We're g- it's a mantra that we're going to walk by this year. And it, it is courageous. As Psalm 31:24. 24. Um, the Bible commands us to have courage. All you that hope in the Lord, and he will strengthen your heart. Uh, God's people need to find some courage. We need to find our courage in the world today. Now, where does that courage come from? We're going to see it. Uh, I want you to see with me very quickly again in Acts chapter 17 and verse number 19. The Bible says, and they took him. This is the Apostle Paul. He's in Athens. And they brought him unto the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears, and we would know therefore what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill. And I want you to get this in your mind. Sometimes we, sometimes we, we read the Bible and we read it, so quickly that we don't we don't put ourselves now think about this the apostle paul is all by himself he is alone in athens timothy is is still back in thessalonica silas perhaps is back in philippi paul is alone in athens and he's standing on these great at this great edifice Underneath, uh, remember, remember, the, the the Pantheon was there, and and uh, all of the beautiful architecture, the beautiful temple that they had built to Athena, their god, and and uh, met, met Paul standing there in this place with all the Stoics, all the Epicureans, all of these great men who are the political and religious powers of Athens, this free city of of the Roman Empire, this ancient city with its history, its story to history of men like Socrates and, and Zeno and all of these great, great philosophers. And Paul is standing in that place all by himself with all of that opposition in front of him. And they said, we want to hear what this new thing is. Now, I don't know about you, but I would... Uh, I would probably be a little timid in that moment. How would you feel in that moment? Have you ever been in a place where you, uh, where you were put on the spot and you were standing alone? I remember, um, I remember a couple of times in, in, in uh, pastoring in Mississippi uh, years ago when I, I was asked to come before a, a joint session of, of the Congress in Mississippi. I remember walking in that room. As a Baptist preacher, looking at all these politicians, and here's the lieutenant governor, here's um, here's all these here's all these powerful people, and uh, and they're wanting me to give a word, and uh, and I've and I've kind of been prefaced about you know being careful about what you know how you say what you say, and uh, I just remember standing in that moment and saying a few things, and they were asking me to lead in prayer. And I remember leading in prayer. And I just remember as I began to pray, I could sense the the presence of the Lord. And that I was not standing alone, that the Lord was standing with me. And these were not men of power. These were men of flesh and blood, just like the rest of us. That these are people who had sin. These are people who are one day going to face God. And I remember praying, Lord, this was my prayer, Lord, I beseech you today in front of this Congress, I thank you for the freedoms and the liberties that we have. But yet, Lord, we're all under the bondage of sin. And you could just kind of hear a, you ever heard a hush come over a room? We're all under the bondage of sin. And Lord, no matter who we are, we're going to one day stand before the great and glorious God. And we're going to stand before you and give an account. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus who came and bore our sins at Calvary and died for every one of us. And I pray that by repentance and faith in his name, many here today would know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. And I remember looking up and seeing some people going, amen. And some people going, who's this? The king of Prussia, Frederick the Great, he had a general, a sacred general, that was renowned and decorated, von Zeeland. And they were having this huge party. And the king of Prussia made a very, very vile joke about Jesus Christ. And the whole place was rolling with laughter As the laughter was dying down, von Zeel stood up, von Zeeland, and he looked at the king and he said, Sire, you know that I have been faithful and that I've been loyal and that I have faced death for this for this throne. I've been in this many battles. And he said, And Sire, you know that I am a Christian. And one day we shall all stand before that name, and I am an old man now, and I will not stand before him and be accused of cowardice in front of my own king. But you have blasphemed the name that is above your name. The king stood to his feet and he looked at that general and he said, I apologize. With my heart, I have offended you and I have offended the king over me. And in front of that great crowd of people, the king made apologies and asked for forgiveness. You ever been in a place like that where you were all alone? Well, Paul was there. And he was standing all by himself. Where did Paul find the courage? And I want to ask you this today, church. Where do you and I find the courage today in this world? Where do we find the courage to boldly stand for Jesus Christ? Well, let me tell you a few things that Paul did. Number one. Paul confronted the Athenians in their culture. Watch what he did. Paul confronted them in their culture. Watch what Paul said. He stood, verse 22, I stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are, in the King James version of this, as too superstitious. What Paul was saying is you are too, you are very religious. Your religions have caused you to be very superstitious. You have so many gods. You have so much religion that you don't even know who you worship. That's what he said. Watch this. He said in verse number 23, for as I passed by and beheld your devotions. By the way, it was easier, it was said, to run into a god than a man in Athens. 30,000 gods they had in that place. And Paul said, "I, I beheld all your devotions, all your altars. He said, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown god. Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. And Paul confronted them... Right in the very basis of their culture. He said, listen, I've walked your city and I've seen your devotion. I've seen what you worship. I see what's vitally important in the life of an Athenian. I see that you guys have very, very religious ideas. And you have religious devotions to thousands of gods. And one God that you don't even know who he is. And you ignorantly worship him. And Paul goes on to say this. He said, uh, Him I declare unto you that God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Now listen, He's standing in the shadow of their great temple for their great goddess Athena. He's standing right there. I mean, this is, this is a blow to the— Here's your altar. Here's your, your temples made with hands that houses a statue made with your hands of your goddess, and the God of the universe does not dwell in Temples made with your hands. And then he says in verse number 25 neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell in all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord. If happily, they might feel after him and find him. He said, here's what you guys are doing. God, you know there's a God. You're trying to worship him in 30,000 different ways. And he said, all this time you've been feeling after him. What does that mean? He means you're groping after God. You've been groping after God. And by the way, can I tell you that in these 2,000 years, things have not changed in the human heart, that men are still worshiping, as we preached last week, men are still worshiping all kinds of things. Men are still groping after God. Men are still seeking after who is God, where is God, how can I find God, I am God. I mean, men are worshiping anything and everything looking for God. And Paul said, in verse number 27, they're feeling after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Paul was quoting when he said, for in him we live and move and have our being. Paul was quoting from a very well-known poet. A poet who had lived in Athens in 600 BC. Epimendes was the man that wrote these words for in him we move and live and have our being. We are the offspring of God. Epimendes wrote those words. Epimendes was a revered poet. Uh, how How do we know he wrote those words? Well, in 300 AD Diogenes wrote a book about the great philosophers of of Athens and he quoted a story about Epimendes that I think Paul understood and by the way this comes back to the heart of Paul understanding the world in which he lived Paul didn't start off with well here's what the bible says Paul said here's what your poets say here's the things you're doing Here's what you're worshiping, here's what you're groping after, and you still don't know God. And your poets have told you that it is in God that we live and move and have our being. This God that you don't know. Now, I think this this speaks to the fact that Paul was so well-read and so well-understanding of his culture. And by the way, can I tell you, Christians, we can't afford just to stick our head in the sand and not know what's going on in the world. The things that are going on in the world around us are symptomatic of man's great problem. They don't know God. And so, Paul speaks to that end. One of the things that happened about Epimenides in the time that he lived in Athens, there was a great uh, disease. There was a pandemic somewhat of an epidemic that took place in Athens and people were dying of this disease. He came in, this great philosopher and poet. Epimendes came in and he suggested that they take a bunch of sheep, and they take sheep and let them run through Athens. And wherever those sheep lay down, make a sacrifice right there, and build an altar right there. And that's what they did. They had sheep everywhere. And they begin to build these altars. They begin to make a sacrifice and build an altar right there to this God. And guess what? The plague stayed. And everybody said, wow, he's a great prophet and poet. And they revered him. And yet, Athens had this thing in their history that there was a great disease that was overcome by the sacrificing of of sheep in their city. And yet, they didn't know God. And Paul was going to declare to them that there was another lamb that was sacrificed. And there was a man that was sacrificed as the lamb of God to take away the sin of the whole world. Not just to free us from a disease, but to free us from sin. So, here's the point. What is Paul doing? Paul confronted them. Now, I want you to understand something. Paul did not start off with condemnation. Paul didn't condemn them. Paul didn't condemn them. The Bible said of Jesus in John chapter 3 that God sent his son to the world. Jesus did not come in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but Jesus also didn't come to condone the world. Paul wasn't condoning Athens by saying, hey, you know, you're doing a really good job with your religion. You're really doing a great job with your your philosophies. Paul didn't condone them, and Paul didn't condemn them. What did Paul do? Paul had the courage to confront them. And you know what our world needs today? Our world needs some Christians who are not so busy just condemning the world, and we certainly don't need churches to get up and condone the world and pat them on the back and tell them everything they're doing is right. The world needs to be able to confront—Paul, the the world needs to be confronted— In its sin. What was Paul saying to them? Paul said, you've tried religion, and you don't know God. You've tried philosophy. You don't know God. You've had great poets who've written great books, and yet you don't know God. They've written about this God, and yet you still don't know God. You're trying to find God intellectually. You're trying to find God philosophically. You're trying to find God religiously, and you don't find God. He's not that far from you. You don't find God with your head. You don't find God with your intellect. You don't find God through through your own passions and your own devotions where do you find God you find God in the Lord Jesus Christ Paul confronted them he pointed them to the greatness of God as we talked about last week that there's a God who made all of this he pointed them to the goodness of God, that it is God who gives you life. It is God who gives you breath. It is God by one blood has made all men to be to be uh, uh, in this human race. And and uh, God, he said that God has been so good to us. God has given us everything that we need for life. In him we live. In him we breathe. In him we move. And God has given us all things. He is a good God. He's a great God. And then he said, he said, I want you to see the power of God. He said God is, God is all-powerful. He's greater than the sun. He's greater than the moon. He's, he created the stars. God is not the moon, pantheists. God is not the sun, pantheists. God is not in all of these things. Those of you that worship Mars and those of you that worship Zeus and those of you that worship Athena and those of you that worship Diana, those of you that worship these false gods, 30,000 of them, God is not in all of these things. That's what Paul was preaching to them. But watch what he does. He comes to the grace of God. And watch. This is where Paul confronted them. Look down here in verse number number 30. Paul said, "And the times of this ignorance, God winked at. What was he saying here? He said, listen, you've been building these statues and all of these things. And there's been a time that God God has graciously overlooked that. Not, Not... not that he's not going to judge it, but that God has, God has given you space. God has seen the Gentile nations in their ignorance. But he said, but there's a new time come. Watch this, verse number 30. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. So Paul confronted them with who God is. And then let me give you the second thing very quickly. Paul warned them. Paul warned them that to know God Is an obligation for men everywhere to repent. Now, this is not a message that you hear in modern day America, but it's a message that John the Baptist preached. It's a message that Jesus preached. It's a message that the the disciples preached. It's the message that the early church, and it's the message that anyone who's faithful to the Word of God is gonna preach that God commands men everywhere to repent, to turn, to come to Him to turn from their own intellectualism, to to put their pride in the dust and come to Jesus Christ. God commands men everywhere to repent. And Paul warned them on why God commanded this. Let me show it to you very quickly. Look at verse 31. Because he hath appointed a day. Now, I want everybody to understand this. Paul said, God is commanding men everywhere to repent because God has appointed a day. There is a time coming on God's appointment calendar. There is a day coming when God is going to judge the world. God has appointed it. Look at verse number 31 again. He said, God has appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. What was Paul's warning? Paul's warning was there needs to be repentance if you want to know God, going to re- you're going to have to repent. You, you've been trying to find God through intellectualism. Repent and turn to him by faith. You've been trying to find God through philosophy. Repent and come to God by faith. You've been trying to find God through all of your devotions. Now you repent and you come to him by faith. Why? Because there is a day coming when God is going to judge the world. Listen to me. That is not the day that we die. The Bible says it's appointed and the man wants to die. And after this, the judgment. I was standing at the bedside of a person dying, and, I, and they said to me, and this person was not a church-going person. They were not a believer, and people had prayed for them. And I said to this particular man, I said, um, I said, you know, the doctors have said that death is imminent, and I'm here to talk to you because death is imminent. And he said to me, I'm not afraid to die. And I said, what about the judgment? And he said, oh, I hadn't thought about that. We all have to face death, but after that, the judgment. And there's a day that God has appointed a day of judgment, a day of reckoning, when all men everywhere will stand before God. Notice who this judgment is for. There is a day when it will be. Uh, The day is a day of judgment, and who's going to be judged? The world. Everyone. There's not anyone who's ever been born who will escape the day of judgment. Listen, I'm telling you today, church, this is not a popular message in the world today, but this is a Bible message that God in His His Word has warned men everywhere. Listen, you need to repent. Why? Because God has appointed a day of judgment, and God has appointed that day to come to all men. All men. No one escapes that. Husbands will not give an account for wives, and wives will not give an account for husbands, and children won't give an account. The Bible says we will all give an account of ourselves before God. And that day is coming. Well, who's going to be the judge? Watch this carefully. He said he's going to judge us in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Listen, who is the judge? Jesus is the judge. Jesus said in the Gospel of John that that God hath committed all judgment into my hand. The Son of God is going to be the judge. Jesus is the judge. Somebody said to me, Pastor, what's the world coming to? It's coming to Jesus. And the world is going to stand before Jesus. And the world's going to give an account of Jesus. Well, what are we going to give an account of? He's going to judge us in righteousness. Now, what does that mean? He's not going to judge us. He's not going to judge us and how, how well we ordered our lives and how, how, uh, how much money we made or how prosperous we were or how nice to our neighbor. No, listen. He is going to hold up the, the righteousness of God, and he's going to judge us on that righteousness. He's going to judge us according to that. Jesus And why is Jesus the judge? Because Jesus became a man, and he walked in this world for 33 years as a man. He hungered like us. He thirsted like us. He suffered like us. He was rejected like us. He went without like us. Jesus came into the human experience, and yet Jesus did only those things that pleased the Father. He only worked the works of him that sent him. He only did the will of God. There was no Fault in him there was no sin in him there was no there was not one shadow of doubt in him Pilate had to wash his hands and say I am free from the blood of this innocent man they could find no fault in Jesus he was falsely accused and yet still exonerated and when he went to the cross they crucified hands that had never done a wicked deed they crucified feet that had never taken an evil step they crucified uh, they crucified and crowned with thorns a mind that never had an evil thought, never, never spoke an evil, evil thing from its mouth, that Jesus was hung there as the Lamb of God in whom there was no spot or blemish. And based on that standard, somebody said, well, I'm good enough. Are you as good as Jesus? That's the righteous standard by which God will judge us. And Paul warned them of that day. Let me read this to you very quickly as we come to a close in just a moment. I want you to, I want you to hear this. In Revelation chapter 20, and verse number 10, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Paul's going to tell us, exact, or John's going to tell us in Revelation, exactly about that day that God's appointed for judgment. Here it is. The devil that's deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. And he should be tormented there day and night forever and ever. Oh, I thank God for that. There are times I've wrestled with spiritual darkness, and I have gone to that verse, and I have told the devil, I know where you end up. Forever and ever, he's going to be in that place of torment. Then the Bible says in verse 11, and I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. The people that no one knew their names, the small. The small. Who are the small? To the government, they're the taxpayer. To Wall Street, they're the consumer. To the politician, they're the constituent. To the ball team in the NFL, they're just the fan. They call us in Devos the regular people the common people, the average man. But then there's the great, the great that everybody knows. They were great in this world. They had great power. They had great wealth. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about the kings and the politicians and the presidents and the men who sat in ivory towers of their great wealth, the men who, so to speak, ran the world. They'll stand before God small and great, stand before God. And the books were open. And the books were open. What books? The books of each man's life. Everything he'd ever done, you'll see it. Look, and then another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things that were written in the books according to their works there is a record keeper god is keeping record of everything that everyone is doing both small and great the things that are done in secret they're in the books everything when god gave a man life god made a book for that man and god recorded in that book everything that man has done every work Every work, good and bad. God is fair, good and bad. Everything that was in there is in those books. They'll be judged from those books. Then the Bible says, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and hell delivered up the dead. I mean, everyone, everyone that has ever died is raised and standing before God, and they're judged according to their works. I tremble when people tell me, do you know that you're going to go to heaven? Well, I, I'm, I'm working my way there. I'm going to be good enough. Hopefully when I stand there, my good will outweigh my bad. Oh, listen, we're all going to be judged according to our works, and I can promise you that the good will not outweigh the bad. And then the Bible says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is what Paul referred to on Mars Hill when he says there is a day appointed when God is going to judge men according to their deeds, according, uh, uh, by righteousness, by the man that he ordained. Jesus Christ is going to be the judge in that day. Man, Paul, how'd you find the courage? Well, here it is. Paul confronted them. Paul warned them. But Paul gave the assurance on which all of this is based. Look with me in our last verse this morning. At the end of this verse, in verse 31, he said, And hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. The courage that Paul had to stand alone in Athens came from one fact That Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus is risen from the dead. And I want to tell you, there are serious implications with that. For if Jesus is risen from the dead, and he is, then he is God's ordained man. God stamped approval on that man and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. If Jesus was raised from the dead, and he is, then he is the judge by which all men will be judged. He is the standard and the measure by which we will all be judged, by his righteousness. If Jesus be raised from the dead, then all men have to come face to face with Jesus. And the question in the New Testament was, men and brethren, what shall you do with Jesus? What will we do with Jesus? Well, he was just a great teacher. Really? He claimed to be God. Great teachers don't claim to be God and still remain great teachers. If a man claimed to be God today, he'd be a lunatic or a liar. But Jesus claimed to be God and God raised him from the dead and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But think about this for a minute. The other implications of Jesus' resurrection is this. (laughs) If, in fact, Jesus died and was buried and rose again, and he did, then first of all, it means that Jesus is alive today. It also means that death has been conquered and overcome. It also means that the power of sin has been broken by Jesus Christ. It, because the wages of sin is death, and for a man to go into death and to overcome it means that that man has conquered the very thing by which he was sentenced to death. And he was died not for his own sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Therefore, Jesus conquered the penalty of sin and the power of sin. Not only that, it means that Satan is vanquished. And it means that Jesus will one day return. And Paul was standing in this place alone, facing all the opposition of a a pagan culture with courage and boldness. Why? Because he was standing on the authority of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you today, church, what the resurrection of Jesus Christ tells us? Number one, it tells us that he is the all-sufficient, eternal sacrifice for sin. That God offered him up and he died once and for all. Listen to me. If Jesus died for sin, and he is the all-sufficient one, then there is no other way to be saved but through Jesus Christ. And I'm not ashamed to say it. Paul wasn't ashamed to say it. If Jesus rose from the dead, then he is all-sufficient. He is the only one that can save. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that Christ is the all-sufficient sacrifice for sin? It means, number two, that his resurrection gives us eternal security. Oh, how many people, you know why we can't be bold in front of these people in this culture is because many of us are still wondering ourselves if we're secure. I ask people all the time, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Oh, I hope so. I hope so. You don't have to hope. If you know the word of God, the Bible has given us eternal. Listen, for God so loved the world that he gave us His only begotten Son, that whosoever, believeth in Him, should not perish but have everlasting life." Listen to me. If you don't receive everlasting life from Jesus Christ, then what kind of life did you get? If it's not everlasting, what kind of life is it? And if it's everlasting and you lose it in five years, then you didn't have eternal life, you had five-year life. The resurrection of Jesus Christ brings eternal security. And not only that, it means that we will now live forever. I'm going to be alive. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. And it tells me there's a bodily resurrection from the dead. Listen to me. There is going to come a day when this body's going to go into the grave. But I want to tell you, this body is going to come out of the grave. This body will come out of the grave. I'm I'm telling you that just as surely as Jesus came out of the grave, you read 1 Corinthians 15, he is going to resurrect these bodies. This mortal will put on immortality. This corruption will put on incorruption. And we will ever be with the Lord in a glorified body. Paul, where did you find the courage? The cause of the courage was in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, okay, all right. But wait a minute. But what about that judgment? What about that judgment? Let me tell you the implication of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You remember the books? When I stand before God, the books are open. Which record everything that I've ever done. And another book was open, which is called the book of life. They that were found written in the Lamb's book of life... They had eternal life. Now watch this very carefully. Listen to me very carefully. This is what the resurrection of Jesus Christ did. When Jesus went into that grave, he went in that grave with all of my sin. And when he came out of that grave, he commanded me to repent and to come to him by faith. And when I did, he gave me all of his righteousness Do you understand that when I get to heaven and the books are open on my life, that everything that is written in those books is righteous, 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 righteous. And if you were to find the books of Jesus Christ's life, you would see sin, 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 sin. Sin, sin. Because what happened at the resurrection of Jesus Christ and when I came to him by faith, my sin was laid on him and his righteousness was laid on me. God made him to become sin for us. That by him we might be made the righteousness of God. Here's my books. Here are my books, all of them. I should be ashamed. I should dread the day of judgment. But there's another book, the Lamb's Book of Life. And my name is in that book, which means that all of my sin became his sin, and all of his righteousness became my righteousness, and I stand before God redeemed. Listen to me very carefully. If I can have the courage to one day stand before a holy God and stand before him justified and redeemed, I can stand before the philosophers of this age with courage. If I can stand clean before God, I can stand with courage before men. And I can tell them that God is commanding men everywhere to repent. And to come to Jesus Christ. Hey, you know what the church needs today? The church needs an old-fashioned, an old-fashioned revival and reminder of the impact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we need to live in the resurrected power of Christ day by day by day. The world needs to see people walk out of these doors and come into their places of business and intermingle with our world today, they need to see people who are not pompous, self righteous people, but people who have tasted of the grace of God and are redeemed and have new life in Christ. And have the courage and compassion and love to confront this world and say, hey, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and know him as I know him. You can come as you are and he'll give you his life and his righteousness and you can be saved. That's what Paul did. Oh, some mocked him. And they not mock us. Some say, well, I'll, I'll hear you again on this. I'll come back next Sunday and see if you're still preaching this crazy stuff. But oh, some of them believed. Some of them believed. Can I tell you that those who believed received eternal life? You can have it too today. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, Lord Jesus. I pray this morning, Lord, that we would that we would stand on the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus, you came into this world. You lived a holy life. You died a death that you did not deserve. It was my death. And Jesus, you offered me forgiveness and redemption and righteousness. And Lord, I have been redeemed. And I pray that day by day, I would declare through life, through lips, through love, that I would declare that there is a risen Savior who can make the vilest sinner clean. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed for just a moment. Who's here this morning would say, with an honest heart, Pastor, I've come to church on this cold, snowy day, and I'm here today not knowing Christ as my Lord and Savior. I don't know him for sure. But if I could be made righteous in him and I could have forgiveness in him, I want to know him today. Would you slip your hand way up high? I want, to, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to walk down and sit beside you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to invite you to come to Christ. Who would it say, Pastor, pray for me? I don't know Christ personally as a Lord and Savior, but I want to know him. How many of us would say this this morning? How many would say, Pastor, I know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I've been saved. And I know that my sins are forgiven. And I have a whole, I have 100% assurance in my heart that I'm going to heaven when I die, that Christ is my Lord and Savior. I know that I know that. Would you slip your hand way up high? Way up high. Man, what a wonderful thing. God bless you. Now let me ask you this. You just raise your hand. Do you have the courage to stand on the resurrection of Christ and to speak the good news to people who need to hear it? Can you live out, has the, has the resurrection of Jesus Christ changed your life? Has it changed your life? Are you living in the power of the resurrection? If not, I'm inviting you today to come to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm saved But I'm not living in the power of the resurrection. Jesus, help me to live in the power of Christ. Would you stand with me all over this room? I'm going to pray for those of you that raised your hand or didn't a moment ago. And maybe you should have, that you don't know Christ. I'm going to pray that you would have faith today to respond to Jesus. And that right here in this service today, that you would take the step of faith to come to Christ. You say, how do I do that? Well, let me tell you what you do. In just a moment, I'm going to pray for you. And after I pray, here's what I'm going to invite you to do. I invite you to just walk right to the back. One of our men, one of our ladies will meet you right back there. We have a team of people who are ready for this. They're ready for you. You don't have to say anything. You can just walk to them. They'll take you. They may ask you why you're coming. And all you have to say is, I want to know Christ. I want to know Jesus Christ. I'm receiving Christ. And they'll rejoice with you. They'll share some scriptures with you And they'll pray with you You can leave here today with all your sins forgiven I can tell you that on the authority of the word of God And as I pray I want Christians in this room To say Lord Let the power of the resurrection Live in me May I live by that power And be courageous in this world Heavenly Father I'm praying for those that know That they're saved That they would let the power of Christ live in them. Lord, this is a time for Christians to be courageous. I pray for those that do not know Christ, that right now they would move, take a step of faith, and let someone show them from the Bible how they could know Christ as Savior. Our Father, I pray today for our people. Lord, in this room, there are so many needs, so many burdens. Lord, as I'm preaching today, I'm looking out, and I see people who are grieving. I know people in our church who are lonely, lonely people who are fearful have heard bad news, health reports, have burdens with their marriages, burdens with their children. Lord, we're a needy people today. All of us have our burdens and our trials. But Lord, I pray that we would turn our eyes back to the cross of Christ and know that you have given your life for us. And Lord, when you rose from that grave, you gave your life to us so that you can live your life through us. Lord, I pray for those who are lonely that they would run to you today and find a friend that sticketh closer than a brother and draw close in their walk and relationship with you For those who are grieving, may they find comfort. For those that are fearful, may they find strength and power in the name of Christ. I pray for those who have sin, who has put them in bondage, may they find the power of the resurrection to break those chains and to set them free. Find forgiveness and joy once again. Lord, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ covers it all. And I pray that we would walk in that power, that we would see the power of Christ daily in our lives. May it change our marriages, change our homes. May we see the change as we go in our day-to-day life, that others would see Christ in us. Lord, I pray that we would have the courage. Thank you for coming into this world and saving us. And Lord, we praise you for your grace. Go with us today. Keep us and watch over us and protect us. Bring us back together. Lord, I pray that we would come back together bringing worship with us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.